Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is, well, holy hell, look at this, it is the band, back together at long last. We start off, of course, with Troy. Troy, welcome to the show. It's good to be back again. And then we are also joined by none other than Julian Rabbit Murdoch. Very excited to be back on one of my favorite things to ramble on about in the world, which is flying. And we also welcome back Dr. Bruce Garrick. Bruce, welcome to the show. Hello, gamers. Oh, there we, there we go. A little frisson of dread runs up my spine, and I know that Bruce is in the house. Uh, so Excellent. we've got uh, kind of an odd show here because we have, we have sort of a topic, but it covers so much ground that I'm really kind of curious to see where this is going to go. Uh, in keeping with our World War One theme this month, we have to address the fact that while World War One has not been a popular subject for games in most contexts, uh, it's exercised a fascination in terms of its air war. Um, while I certainly would put this down probably to the influence of Snoopy and Peanuts on a popular <laughs> culture, I suspect there may be a little bit more to it. So, Julian, you uh, your eyes lit up like a child on Christmas morning when I said this was going to be the topic. So, uh, tell, tell us... Why? What's so great about these old crates of planes and uh, World <laughs> War One aviation? Well, so so first, I want to put the caveat up front because we're going to spend like an hour talking about simulating aerial combat. We should point out that historically, aviation in World War One was pretty much meaningless. I mean, as far <laughs> as like determining the outcome of the war. It was it was a tactical ampersand in in everybody's strategies, but that doesn't really matter. The reason why it's such an awesome thing to like dig into is because it was one of these rare moments in history where we have the birth of a really transformative technology coinciding with a war. And not that war is a, a great thing, but war does have this focusing power in human endeavor, right? We, we make these incredible advances in these times of great stress, whether it's in, you know, medicine or, you know, nuclear science, or I mean, you can point to almost every major long conflict in history and sort of tick off the amazing technological innovations that came from that necessity of being in this, you know, horrible environment of, you know, person killing person. And World War One was when really flying was invented. I mean, yes, there were planes before the first shots were fired in World War One. But for any reasonable modern context, everything we know about flying today and air combat, but really about flying comes from World War One aviation. And that's what's so cool about it, because it's this, it's this, it's like the nebulos where stars are born. It's just, it's this incredible focal point for really just three or four years where people figured everything out. And that's what's so cool about it. I actually want to press you a little bit more on that, because we talked a little bit about this uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and you, you, you mentioned that. And that surprised me a little bit, because uh, planes back then, like, so much has changed uh, since then. I mean, the aircraft just 20 years later were leaps and bounds more capable and sophisticated than all of this. Uh, you know, everything about air combat and even even the sorts of craft you were, you were handling, uh, everything changed in that intervening period. Uh, and you've actually you've actually done some civil aviation stuff y yourself, um, and you're saying that World War One is still kind of the um, 
I don't know the the the, the fount of original knowledge, the uh, the Rosetta Stone yeah, of I- aviation. Absolutely. I mean, when I uh, I don't fly anymore because I have epilepsy, but I flew for years. And the whole reason I learned how to fly was because I wanted to take a plane and fly it upside down. Right. I wanted to do all the aerobatics that, you know, I always imagined happening when I was playing these different games or playing the board games or, you know, watching movies, although there's a, a real dearth of good, uh, you know, fantastic World War One fighter ace movies. There's really just a handful of them. But but you look at the, the earliest planes, you look at those sort of the 1915, 16 planes um like the albatross uh or or even like the dh2 that the brits were flying these were incredibly archaic machines i mean they barely got off the ground they went something like 50 to 60 miles an hour um you know they could they could you know they basically couldn't fly in any wind gust or weather at all they were just they were barely functional and they were just used effectively as balloons right people just got in them to like fly above enemy lines hope nobody took a pot shot at them and they could land and then tell the general on the ground something about what was going on on the other side. But it turned out balloons were actually a lot better for that. You could get higher, you could stay there longer, you could you know, basically drop little parachutes down every once in a while telling somebody what was going on. So they were completely useless in the beginning, but then just two years later, like by 1918, you had like real airplanes. I mean, you had planes that were doing capable of doing every trick that is in what is known as the sportsman's aerobatics routine, right? And that's what I was training for, which is being able to do, you know, rolls and loops and Immelman's and hammerhead turns and, and you know, all the kinds of things that we associate with air combat were really all invented here with just very few exceptions that really only came about because of jet power. Everything that people still learn about flying an airplane in combat or even just flying an airplane at the edge of its performance envelope was invented in 1917 and 1918. And I just think that that's super cool. Am I going to get to refute Julian's uh, theory of air power and World War I being useless? Go for it. Yeah, you got your work cut out for you, Bruce. Yeah. No, I think think a lot of the stuff that Julian says is great, and I don't want to— uh, to hang this up on this point, but uh, I just I want to emphasize how um, how interesting early aviation is in World War One, and sort of reinforce Julian's point there, and just say that you know I didn't think that World War One aviation was useless because, um, as Julian points out, as the aircraft became more uh, capable, they actually were able to shoot down most of the observation balloons, and uh, a book that Rob gave me. Uh, that I have finished and really enjoyed quite a bit was uh, Alistair Horne's uh, History of Verdun, which uh, I thought pretty clearly demonstrated that one of the failings that the Germans had at that time was not having enough aircraft or having uh, Max Bulke's uh, Flying Circus uh, engaged for long enough because they didn't uh, they basically didn't have the observation capabilities that they had massed artillery, but they didn't have Absolutely. the observation capabilities to take advantage of it. So, um, and the the uh, the Allies were able to uh, very effectively shoot down those observation balloons. So, but, um, but one of the other I, cool things about that is that, and I'm sorry if I'm like hyper enthusiastic about this. This is like my favorite <laughs> period in military history. One no, the, go for it. What, you're absolutely right that the, the the advantage here was informational, which I think is also really cool from a simulation perspective, right? That was fundamentally the advantage, right? That mm-hmm. um, you know the Brits in particular got extremely good at shooting down observation balloons and protecting their own, right? So they had this this battlefield observational advantage, which of course was important. So I I, I completely concede that that my point was simply that things like 
you know, quote unquote, strategic bombing was pretty, uh, pretty ineffective at that point. Right. There was not a lot going yeah. on against get sure. ground targets oh, of course, in, yeah. in any meaningful way. But but one of the cool things about that, that disparate uh, abilities, it wasn't just a material advantage or a training advantage, which there certainly was that. Right. They, they, they you know, we certainly invested more on our side of that war in getting planes in the air and and recovering from, you know, really bad months when we lost half the you know Air Force and things like that than than the Germans did. So, yeah, there was that, too. But there was also this social aspect where they really um, the Brits and the Americans really tried to make this uh, romantic. And I think that that was actually important, right? One of the reasons why we got this huge advantage in, in balloon busting, as it became called, was because they let the aces count balloons on their combat record. And once the, that sort of once that ace war began, you know, you ended up with pilots like Willie um, Cope, Copers, Copens. I can't remember his name, but there was one. There was one ace who got like almost all of his marks just shooting down balloons because he figured out like that was a way to cheat the system. And I love that that like sort of social manipulation of the soldier's mentality made a real difference. Well, I think that uh, the fact that the pilots, the aces were so individualistic uh, is is one of the great things that allows them uh, or allows games to be so compelling when they're portrayed. Uh, so I think that uh, uh, World War One has this very, it has a unique hook that um, I think you you find in games like uh, Red Baron uh, and uh, all basically uh, and especially in board games uh, such as the games we're going to talk about uh, today uh, kind of like Richthofen's War they they sort of put the focus squarely on the plane um, and then it's up to the rules to make that a compelling experience and uh, I think the games do it in, to various uh, degrees so we might as well dive right into well probably red baron actually is the is the natural place to start because i'm not sure there's another game that traded as heavily on the mystique of the world war 1 uh air war and it, it kind of has this it, it, it's kind of unique uh you, even among sims red baron comes from this era when if you were a PC gamer, you kind of played a little bit of everything, right? There, there simply weren't that many games, uh, so it, it certainly seemed to me like you know in the you know in the, in the early '90s, mid '90s, um, there it was kind of this attitude that a PC gamer played PC games, whether it involved flying stuff or you know crunching RPG stats or pushing counters around uh, you know a hex grid. Um, right. But even by those standards, Red Baron seemed to really break through and find a, find a really wide audience. And I think a big part of that uh, was the fact that Red Baron didn't just model air combat. And this is, I think, what a lot of Sims in subsequent years have missed. Uh, they, they, they focus on dynamic campaigns. Red Baron had dynamic campaigns, stuff like that. But I think more than anything, Red Baron was about sort of as much as they could, with the, you know, within the limitations of the time, making you feel like you really were like in its, in its campaign game making it feel like you really were climbing that social ladder that Julian mentioned that you were starting out the low man on the totem pole flying the most unglamorous missions crap aircraft a total nobody but if you can keep doing your job well keep doing it right uh, 
um, you start you, you start getting you start getting noticed. Uh, Senpai notices you, and uh, you you start you can get like you get even get these little postcard invitations to new squadrons that you can decide whether or not you want to join. But but Red Baron becomes about the the fact that the air war becomes this this um th- this road for like social promotion uh in, in a way you don't really see in sims or war games yeah and i, I think the i think the um interesting thing about that is how closely that sort of parallels um you know the actual it, it's it's really an interesting i feel like there's a confluence of uh interesting historical situation and interesting era in games uh, because from a historical situation, you have this idea where, you know, role-playing games are, are kind of ludicrous, right? You have this this uh, impossibly heroic quest and, you know, some, uh, you know, blacksmith's apprentice gets, a, you know, a crappy, you know, short sword <laughs> and some, you know, leather armor and then he has to fight all these monsters. Well, I mean, why don't they just get a guy who's good at it in the first place, right? <laughs> yeah. So, right? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. But but really, in, in, in actuality, in World War I, that's exactly how it happened because you had all these people that had, you know, there were no pilots. I mean, there were pilots, but there were, there were you know, the planes were so rudimentary. So you can't really have a, uh, a Vietnam game where you start out with some, you know, terrible you know a1 sky raider and then you know soon you're you know at some point you're flying a phantom uh i mean you can but it doesn't really have a it it just seems contrived whereas in world war one that's exactly how it worked because people are just making new planes you know all of a sudden somebody might show up and say look hey we've got this new plane uh you know a newport made a new biplane uh you know fokker had the monoplanes um all all this crazy development was going on and uh and people started out uh, as, you know, rookies, and they really did build. Jet- I mean, it's, it's exactly what Julian said. But the second thing about that is that I think you were put in an interesting position where, um, and this is a little bit less uh, applicable to World War, World War One games, but I think the flight models, the really, really complex flight models in, like, you know, Falcon Three, as I recall weren't that complex but you had sort of this this wonderful um sort of confluence of of circumstances i think i've mentioned in other podcasts where the ability of the player to interact with the system was just about the level that was comfortable for somebody jumping into a game and it seemed really complex but it was at a level that you could master whereas you know i i really don't even feel like pulling out falcon 4 anymore with all the with all the patches because trying to figure out what all those dials do and and which which button I have to hit I mean it's it's really like a job and 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 I don't think that that's something that a lot of people would you know inherently sort of um you know viscerally get into um, but that's but that's part of what I th- I'm agreeing with you part that's part of why this is such a fantastic yes. part of aviation to simulate because right. the reality is like when I learned how to fly the planes that I had to get certified on which were mm-hmm. you know Cessnas like everybody else were vastly more complex than the planes that I ended up doing aerobatics in 
Mm-hmm. Right. The, like systems just disappeared. Right. I didn't right. Even, I like I had a compass. I had like one channel radio. Mm-hmm. All this engine management stuff disappeared because aerobatics planes are designed to be incredibly reliable and incredibly simple so that when you're upside down, you don't have to panic if your engine dies. Right. And that's actually what World War One aviation was like, mm-hmm. too. Right. They right. were incredibly simplistic aircrafts that were often almost hand-designed to the individuals that were flying them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the Fokker D7 was effectively designed for Richthofen. I mean, that was his plane, right? And he was, like, working with the factory to make it the way he wanted to fly it. So when they went to, you know, I've, I've read in one of these books, and this is the other great thing, there are only about 40 people interesting or important in World War One aviation. There just mm-hmm. weren't that many guys that were any good, right? right? <laughs> and so and they you almost can read all about died. all of them. And it, what? Sorry, they almost all died. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a particularly. Uh, it was it was glamorous if you survived, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, you know, Ray Telvin's real success is that he not that he got eighty kills, but he survived long enough to get eighty kills. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I but agree that's that's part of what's so cool is that everything is so simple that as a gamer, you can jump into the cockpit. And, you know, your engine management, it's like you don't even have a mixture control in these planes, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah, just, right. You're just pushing the throttle and hoping the, the the mechanics set it correctly before you got in the plane. Right. And you have a gun. And you have a gun. Yeah. That may or may not work. It <laughs> right. may or may not, like, come off its timing chain and shoot through your propeller. Right. right. So I, I think that that's, I mean, yes, that's it. That's, that's what works so well, I think, as a, um, makes it work so well as a computer game. Uh, and causes some problems as a board game that I think are solved by other things. Um, but there, there are a whole bunch of, um, of board games about, uh, World War One. Well, I guess not a whole bunch, but, um, enough that, uh, you know, we can talk about them. And then all of a sudden Sid Meier's Ace Patrol shows up. What, you know, how about that? Uh, and and it, and what it is is basically sort of an adaptation of what really is a, a board game that was uh, developed, uh, gosh, you know, forty years ago uh, as uh, Richthofen's War. Oh, I actually didn't know that uh, that was its that was its lineage. No, it's it's not. I mean, I, they didn't. But I mean, it's basically it, it worked the same way that Richthofen's War does, or. Uh, you know, it works similar that you have, uh, you know, certain maneuvers let you perform certain other maneuvers. Uh, wings is probably a better, um, a better, uh, a better correlation, but, you know, they all had the same concepts. I mean, these, this stuff has been done. I mean, the stuff that Sid Meier did was not the rules that were so, I mean, Sid Meier designed flight sims in the past, right? But, um, the genius of, of Sid Meier's, uh, Ace, uh, Ace Patrol is not, the rules, it's the presentation uh, of the game itself. It's basically taking a board game and saying, look, you know, this is how uh, we could have displayed this if we had had this technology back then. In the past, I remember uh, I went to, um, I think it was 80, 1983, I think it was, the uh, Origins Convention in Detroit. And uh, S. Craig Taylor, who was the designer of Wings at that time, I played uh, I played Wings with him, and he had these long uh, sticks with these little airplane models at the at, you know on them. And all he was basically trying to do was trying to make a you know a computer game or or a, you know a visually arresting graphical representation of this 
flat 2D board game that he'd made. Well, and and that's like that's kind of, it's one of the coolest things about going to Gen Con is that you you get to see the guys that have really gone over the top and like upsizing their board games. Mm-hmm. And I I read somewhere in prep for this episode that Dawn Patrol is the only game that has had a scheduled game for every single Gen Con in history. Yeah, well, it's because uh, it's originally a TSR game, right? It's, right. It was originally a TSR game. But you, it has you squares, go and you though. see that set up in squares, which is bizarre. Um, and, but and it had, you know, three levels of, I think, three levels of height. And mm-hmm. they put them on, you know, the same sort of telescoping, like, antenna. Yep. Um, but you see the guys that set these things up, and they do it on a 40 by 40 foot board now with planes that are 12 inches across and everything. Yeah. And, and the board game system is still ludicrously simple. But one yes. of the interesting things, I think, and, and I'm curious about your opinion of this is i'm not really that engaged by most of the board games that are simulating world war one combat i find mm-hmm. most of them to be a little tedious do you are there any of these that you really think are strategic gems i, I don't think so and 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 there's a reason which is the th- point that i was going to make originally about the fact that games that uh focus on the individual aircraft because of the ability of you know just because of the historical situation ability of historical situation to support that kind of focus actually break down because the individual aircraft in a board game sense aren't that complicated so the rules i mean wings has a lot of rules um and they're actually a little bit uh i mean they're they're, it's pretty complex and it depends on how complex you want to make the game but as the game becomes more about individual planes it becomes more complicated the things that i actually found uh interesting about uh world war one games like with um richthofen's war were these campaign games i remember um i i played uh against a friend of mine a long time ago Um, i wrote an article about uh on quarter three about playing um traveler with this friend of mine uh, but we also, despite uh, besides playing science fiction role-playing games, we played uh, bo- uh, historical board games. We played Richthofen's War. And what we did was we would keep track of each pilot. And so, you know, we would fly the pilots. We'd fly these missions. Uh, you know, there were observation missions. There were um, sort of, you know, shoot-down-the-balloon missions. And that's what was interesting about the game. And what made it much more interesting, rather than just having, you know, uh, you know, one plane against another plane that actually became kind of tedious after a while. But what wasn't tedious was keeping, you know, watching your ace shoot down another one, another plane, get to another checkbox. Um, you know, there weren't really. I don't well, think there were yeah, really. Rick any... Duffins War was a, was a, was an RPG. I mean, that's what I yeah, always basically. thought. Of. I always thought of it that way. And and to Rob's point, that's part of what made Red Baron interesting. I mean, actually, Red Baron did. A surprisingly good job being a flight simulator for a game that really never held itself out really as a you know perfectly modeled flight simulator i mean it had you know you know rotation torque and all sorts of things that you would expect it to be and different planes performed differently it did a pretty darn good job of it but the interesting part was that whole you know tenting your fingers in between missions deciding whether you were going to take the offer to you know go join this new aerodrome so mm-hmm. that you could have a chance to fight this ace uh, right. in the next battle um, which honestly, I mean, to, to jump ship a little bit, that's what made Crimson Skies so awesome too, Yeah. right? Crimson Skies owes a lot to Red Baron for that sort of feeling of progression. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I forgot all about Crimson Skies, actually. That's a, something that's sort of in that time period, but in with, you know, crazy uh, ahistorical tech. 
real real quick um actually i want to just regarding crimson skies are we talking about the video game or the board game uh well the the minis game there was a minis game for that the, right the, vi- the video okay. game is what i was talking about yeah i've not i've played the i've not played the um the board game uh of yeah, that... crimson skies but yes I, I i played the i played the uh video game quite a bit um now Troy, I, I know that you are not a you you are not a huge fan of uh, of Ace Patrol, and you, you know what what is it what is it trying to what is it trying to get at about um, you know this this sort of aviation and and where is it uh, where is it coming up short why why are people like Julian uh, sort of left cold by by systems that try to uh, turn this into a board game? Well, I'm not sure that I'm not a huge fan. It's a, it's a... It's a decent game for what it is. It's a very simple game. It's very repetitive. Um, it doesn't have a lot of sticking power or staying power. It's not meant to. It's not the type of. It's not like a Red Baron game or a good board game, which you can revisit time and time again uh, because the talents don't change, the missions don't change. It's every campaign is exactly the same no matter which side you play. All the planes are pretty much the same. The pilots gain power and experience, so it's got this role-playing element. But once again, they don't take a lot of variation from each other. You always want generally the same types of skills as you're going through. Uh, So there's not a lot of variety there. It does have, I think, when you start playing it, it does have a very interesting flight model. It's, I mean, I'm surprised to hear that Bruce Day came from, it reminds him of Dawn Patrol, because I saw Steambirds. When I was playing this, because which I guess uh, might have a similar, which has pretty much the same mechanics. You're, oh, they're flying steampunk planes, but the idea is, you your maneuvers and what you can do depend on what you did the turn before, and mm-hmm. the and the capabilities of your plane. So there's, right. it's a very simple, clear, reliable flight model, um, and I do like. It does have a good sense of space, which is good, and it does have this as. A, Bruce and Julian are saying the important thing and the great thing about World War One is the pilots and the individuality, and you do have a little bit of that when you start playing. It is a game, however, that does get tired very fast because it is, when it comes down to a very, very simple board game mm-hmm. um, that even if you're playing against another person, their options are quite limited. You can get stalemates quite quickly. A lot of running around, chasing things down. The AI is not very smart. It's a single-player game. It's but, not very good. But but, but that, that's almost realistic, though, isn't it? I mean, that's ah. part of the issue here is that, yeah. you know, one of the things that people criticize, uh, you know, Richthofen's war about is that, uh, you know, once you get two players who know what they're doing, it's just I go, I tighten the circle, I shoot. You go, you tighten the circle, you shoot. And you do that over and over again until somebody dies. That's really kind of, we read the historical accounts and, you know, the the reason that Bolka was able to right. come up with his whatever they are, eight rules of aerial combat that, you know, guaranteed you success, which are pretty straightforward in yep. retrospect, you know, have height advantage, come out of the sun, always stay on the tail of your enemy and get close enough to shoot. It, that's kind of what it was. Absolutely. But I think that's more fun when you're in the plane doing it and not moving yes, a plane yes, around. Absolutely. So that's, I think that's, whether it's realistic or not, and it probably is. When it comes down to waiting your turn and then hoping the guy doesn't dive or whatever else is going on, I think that's the sort of warfare. I haven't played a lot of World War One board games, and I'm looking forward to hearing if there's some good aviation board games out there. I think that works better as a simulator, in, in a simulator type thing, because you get the adrenaline, you get the feeling of the hunt, and there's not much of a feeling of a hunt in a top-down 
board game where you already know he's in your six because you can see he's in your six. And he's only there because you screwed up. You didn't lose him. You made a bad move and he got behind you. That kind of feels different. And I really love Red Baron, one of the first flight sims I really, really got like three in the morning hooked on. Uh, was Red Baron, uh, because it does have this, because you do do the, these stupid things like, oh, I want to fight the Red Baron, so I'll transfer close to the front, I'll take him on, and the next thing you know is you lose the guy, and he's in the sun, and you're freaking out, um, because you've crafted this pilot and taken care of him so well, and you really, really don't want him to die because of a mistake you made. And I think that's part of this individual, this carrying on for the pilots and making the pilots and the planes feel special, I think is much easier when you are the plane instead of you are managing the plane. Like, Bruce, you talked about this game you played with your friend and you were tracking the pilots. I mean, the pilots were just names you gave to the planes, right? Did they have special skills? Did they level up? Did they get special abilities? No, or... no they, did, they, they did not. So no, they, they did not. So but they, they were... could move to different planes. Right, but they were just... They were just people in a plane who were moving around, so there wasn't right. necessarily a Rick Toffin in there or a Billy Bishop with necessarily amazing skills. They were just guys who had the right luck. Well, they had the right luck, and they had the better planes as you right. as you moved your. They, so they leveled up by you. You would you would fly them in planes that were better. Right. Uh, you would sort of preserve them. Um, they would. They so they they sort of gained their own personality by the fact that you were successful with them. Okay. But I, I think that's a hard thing to really accurately capture in an aviation game is that mm-hmm. that RPG element. I mean, Rick Stuffins were tried, but ultimately, when you sit down to play against another person, you want that person to be what's determining your success, not the fact that their dude is so much better, right? You're hoping that there's a balance between the sides. And, and you know, one of the things that, you know, we talk about this every time we talk about, you know, any of these historical simulations, right? Uh, the, the reality is there is often just technology on one side that is better than the other yep, side. Absolutely. And then if you remove that human element and replace it with player element, well, guess what? The technology is going to win if the players are evenly matched. Do you think part of the issue might also be that um, it's almost a case of the theme itself becoming a, a little bit of a trap? Because when you think of like, okay, if you're making an air combat board game, do, do you think designers sort of default to ah uh, the the one on one duel between aces, the you know the um, you know Richthofen versus Hawker? That that's that's what we're going to give you. Uh, and, and what tends to get overlooked is is that. Uh, this is also an era where where fighter group tactics are also being perfected. Uh, that you know your, your mm-hmm. late war encounters are no longer guys sort of jousting up there, but actual battles for local you know air superiority, um, you know superior recon ability, uh, and you're having really huge aerial melees starting to take shape where you can't just lock onto one guy and succeed. Now you have to th- be thinking about you know what how to, how to best you know bring you know thirty or 40 friendly aircraft into the fray and make them effective but when we make a game about it a board game certainly uh it it sounds from what you guys are describing it's almost always that you know one-on-one you know single combat duel of the aces right which and and the problem with modeling that it really with i mean it's almost like modeling uh you know if if you and i were going to have a a shootout at the okay corral and it's only you and me right that that may be a strategically interesting situation for about a second and a half, 
<laughs> but then it's over, right? And and it's not like that. You know, there there are no stories that I know of that in all the books that I've read of. Uh, you know, these long drawn out combats between, you know, heroes of the air that involved, you know, faint and counter faint and wound and counter wound. No, I mean, generally somebody got the upper hand and then the other guy died and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so and in fact, I mean, in 19, I can't remember what year it was, but Bloody April, as it was called, was sort of this classic case of the Brits not really understanding how to fight and being committed to this this strategy of small patrols over the German lines and just getting decimated every time until they sort of realized, oh, you know what? We need to send 40 planes, not two. Uh, and, and then they figured it out. Uh, and came back, but you, you know that I think you're very you're you're very much right that the idea of modeling this one on one mano on mano thing is actually kind of dumb. Well, I think that the thing that it's not dumb in the sense that I, well, let's get back to wings for a second because wings I thought was uh, a really I, it was the air war of uh, of World War One, and when I say air war, I mean SPI's game where. Uh, uh, you know, I think it, it took us uh, at one point, it took us like uh, two hours to do a turn because we're, it took that long to figure out how to do a radar lock on for a missile. But um, it was basically the most complex game that I've seen, except for, uh, well, no, it's probably the most complex game that I've seen um, for uh, World War One. But what they did was there was actually a part of that game called the mass game where they were trying to get you to, and it played differently. Um, where you were playing uh, combat of you know large formations against large formations, and that I thought was not as interesting because the dual game, which was uh, you know you sort of had these you know, these aircraft data cards, and they tried to really simulate how you know what the performance envelope of the plane was. So you were playing uh, a plane and a pilot against another plane, you know the other person, and you were really getting a feel for how these two engines, these two machines worked against each other and that's where you really piled all the rules on and i think i don't think you could have done that with i mean the, they did a, they did the mass game for a reason because you couldn't play the dual game with 10 planes on a side because it just i mean it just didn't work i mean you might as well just you know it's uh um you might as well do something else uh for how long that's going to take and how boring it's going to be or just how tedious it can get so um, I think one of the things that you're talking about is that once the, you know, Bloody April, that was 1917, right? I, I can't remember. But um, the uh, once the, you know, aerial tactics evolved so quickly that there was sort of a sweet spot again where you could have a, you know, a one-on-one -on -one combat be interesting. And then once warfare became something more than that, uh, it it's not really, you know, it moves out of that window of being able to, of being an interesting simulation and as a flight sim and still being historical. Right. And and that gets back to Troy's point, I think, which is that, you know, it, it just may be inherently a whole lot more interesting to play these things as video games uh, than to try to model these as board games. I mean, I, you know, I played a bunch of uh, Rift Offense War. I played a lot of Dawn Patrol mm -hmm. over the years. Yeah. And, and you know, I have fond memories of them. Mm -hmm. I don't have any desire to reach out and grab those and pull them off the shelf and teach them to rob on some weekend. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, it, they were they were interesting for their time, but would I rather 
you know, play Red Baron. I mean, honestly, when I stopped playing those games was when Red Baron went online with the Sierra Network, which mm-hmm. I don't, I'm now I'm really old. But <laughs> I, I mean, that was the first time you could play. Like, I think it maxed out at two on two, maybe, maybe three on three. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when it was like, you know, teamwork for the win. If you could get a friend to play that with you in the same room, you were unstoppable. Yeah. And and that's when it became super interesting. And that I've never played a board game that really captured that. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think that I would. I mean, I have a copy of Prickhoffman's War in the Closet, but I'm not going to pull it out and start, you know, looking for a for an opponent on, you know, on Vassal or something. It's just, it's not, the game is not that, um, the, the game is clearly a product of its time, but I still, like like you, I have but very that's, fond that's memories of it. That's as good as it got, really. Yeah. I mean, and like Wings of War, I think, is it Ace of Aces, Wings of War, what, the, what, the one that came out a couple uh, years ago. A, Ace of Aces was... Uh, Ace wing, of Aces wing. was the was the was the the that was actually a great game. That was the book. Remember the books? Okay, I'm, yeah, no, I, it was like it was like the fantasy game. Fantasy yeah, but it was one. a much better idea. That, right? That was, that was a cool one where you had like your book for the soft with Camel, and the other yep. guy had the Fokker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 At this point, now now I'm intrigued. <laughs> oh, yeah. you, you guys are just we're just the audience at this point. So you're just throwing stuff out here. There's a book and what? So you throw books at each other? Is so, it like flight manuals where you just try to brain each other <laughs> like the manual of Fokker D or what? What 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 are you doing here? No, we're not making this up. You remember Julian, right? It was like, yeah, like no, you it have was a... part of, it wasn't yeah. part of the Fighting Fantasy series, but it was fighting the same as those books, right? No, Fighting Fantasy was the it was... No, what what were the name of the books? Oh my god. Let's go back it was Ace of Aces. It was Ace of Aces. That's, that's no, no, what I remember the ones they were based on, which were the ones with the like you had the the guy with the sword versus like, the guy choose with your the own act. adventure? No, 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 no. I have like twenty of them in the other room. I'll have to go look. Oh. The one, but it's the same system where it's like I do this, you go to page 22, and then you look at your book on 22, and it says, ah, you're on my tail. And then right. You flip oh. the yes, exactly. Maneuver. Yeah. So, right. So you'd have, like, you'd, you'd, you'd basically both be facing each other, right? And then you would do your maneuver, and then he would do his maneuver, and then you'd turn the pages to see, you know, what, it, and it would show you a picture of what you saw, Right. So right. it was yeah it was like it was like a it was like a it was like almost like the flip book of video games because you were really you were using paper to to get a visual representation of what you were seeing. I think you can still get it somewhere. Yeah, the it was ones, like a Kickstarter I, for it or something. I, I know that you can still get the ones which are the I'm the dragon and you're the sword fighter. Oh god, yes, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I, I can't elf. remember the. Here comes my elf. I, I think yeah. it was called Fighting Fantasy. I, th- I don't think I'm wrong. Maybe that. I'm, so, I'm sure okay, someone we'll look at that. Only match up against one of their book. Like, could it only be a camel versus? No, 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 no. That was the genius of the system was that you could take any plane versus any other plane, and they were all keyed to a common oh theory. It sounds nightmarish yeah. to do expansions I have all the ones. For, I but... have the complete collection of all of the ones for for swords and sorcery stuff. But it was the same basic thing you could do with with uh, airplanes, which was you're right. That was actually really entertaining. That so, really yeah. worked. I mean, I thought. That, well, no, yeah. this is just this is just a a, a slight tangent, uh, just because we're talking about like group tactics versus sort of the uh, the the mano a mano uh, you know experience. Uh, I, I just briefly want to talk actually about um, the Final Fantasy uh, X Wing series, uh, Starfighter series, um, the uh, Fantasy Flight. Okay. Sorry, Lost Worlds. Sorry. Found, remembered it. Lost World Lost was the name Worlds. of the thing okay. with the with the. So, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, so, Go ahead. Have, you guys, have you guys played the uh, the the uh, Fantasy Flight uh, X Wing games? 
I okay. absolutely. Uh, oh, okay. So it's it's it. kind of an interesting case because it's 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 a minis game, and I played it a few times in a, in a few different circumstances. Uh, you know, a couple times just like on a on a tiny little table set up somewhere, and a couple times over at uh, our our friend uh, Hedge Wizards, uh, sort of colossal uh, gaming table from uh, Geek Chic. It's it's enormous. Um, but what's interesting is I played a few bigger games of this, uh, where basically during the points by phase, everyone just can buy a lot more stuff, and there's a lot more room on the battlefield. And what is interesting is when it, obviously it's going to take a lot more time to administer, but it is this this game that sort of turns into um, it can be two very different sorts of games, right? Where it can be this total like uh, you know Luke Skywalker and Wedge Antilles versus you know Baron Soontir Fell and uh, whoever the hell Darth Vader, who cares? Um, and just like just a you know quick fighter scrum, or you can have these really intricate like you know multiple flights of fighters coming in and uh, you know supporting each other, and just tactically the the the, the way you think about the game, the way it relates to itself, uh, completely changes uh, basically based on how much table you have uh, to play it on and, and how and many, how many fi- people how many... you get into it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's it's really and interesting. That, that game is that the the Star Wars game. I was going to bring that up later. That is effectively a world war one game even dumbed down more right because there is no altitude whatsoever right everything's played on a flat plane um and and that you know it's it it might as well be ships at sea right and it uses effectively the same system from wings of war was the game i was trying to remember the 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 recent one with the little cards but they also make uh different miniatures for it as well um but it it plays Mm -hmm. exactly the same way where every ship has certain abilities to make this kind of tight turn or that kind of tight turn and if you're going too fast you can't make super tight turns and you know it's you you can do immelmans or quick reverses It, it really is a world war one game and i love it i think it's great that one has enough flavor to it that it still actually hits the table every couple months um where a lot of these other games don't are you going to have this at Gen Con, Julian? I am not bringing anything to Gen Con because that's the beginning of there, three and a half weeks be, of travel. There's going to be a lot me. of copies of that floating around Gen Con. Yeah, you don't need to worry. For sure. However, the, 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 for sure. The, the real hot ticket, I think, is if uh, Fantasy Flight brings their uh, fleet battle system uh, to Gen Con. That looks really interesting. Um, it's sort of a you know capital ship warfare. Uh, you've got fighters represented, but now they're like by squadrons. Uh, these these tiny little miniature fighters. Uh, this is uh, Armada. Yeah, is that and, what it's called? And you got yeah. dynamic missions where uh, in the same battle, basically, like I think it's like a random deal or something like that. So like Imperial. Uh, player gets Delta mission card, and uh, the other the rebels get Delta mission card, and so even though they're fighting this one battle, they actually might have totally different objectives. And so when it comes time, I don't know if it's played blind, uh, sort of a Lords of Waterdeep blind scoring type thing, uh, or whether it's open face. I have no idea, but it does have this idea of uh, that you have people playing for different objectives uh, in the same battle, which which seems pretty interesting. Um, so. Turning back to then flight sims uh, for just a second, um, actually more than a second because there's a, there's a little more to this. Um, you know, it, it sort of seems to to me like I don't remember hearing a lot of people ever complain about Red Baron's authenticity or, or lack thereof. Like it was still like the debate of is it a sim or not never seemed to really crop up that much around Red Baron. It was sort of seemed like everybody played it. it, it, it. It was 1990, after all. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and you know it's 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 interesting because you know I was able to play that and sort of grok it completely, um, and 
it was it was it was a total blast. Uh, but then it, it sort of seemed like as time went on, uh, the, it had it wasn't a flight sim had to be like a perfect one for one recreation of a plane of of, of the of whatever it was purporting to model, and it, it sort of seems like games like Red Baron, which weren't about a single plane, but rather you know this, this this broader idea this broader period those games seem to kind of dry up and i think um i don't know like like troy i think you and i might have been in the same boat i mean i there was a time i considered myself a flight simmer when it was games like uh, red baron and then there was a moment when i realized that i no longer you know could call myself that well it was european air war and then the dark ages after that pretty much for me well you know um red baron 2 came out and then that was a disaster. And then Red Baron 3D. Right. And Red Baron 3D was yeah. another disaster, correct? Except it eventually turned into a win. Well, I, I think that I think that 3D... Was, was 3D the fix, basically? I don't, 3D, I thought, was the fix. I don't remember. Gosh, it's been so long. Um, that was... that was. But I, th- I think that you can, you can still... Um, uh, you, can, you could probably still play that thing. Actually, if you had a uh, well, maybe not. Uh, but the the whole point of 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 three D was that they I think they made the flight model much more. Uh, you know that nineteen that was like nineteen uh, ninety like eight or nine or something like that. Wasn't that around the time the Falcon Four came out? Uh, it would have been uh, which one? Which we're talking about? Falcon Four was like yeah, it was like ninety nine two thousand one something there. Right, Falcon yeah, Four was yeah. not Falcon Four was ninety eight. Right, which yeah, is so right about so when I European that, Air War came out. European yeah. Air War definitely came out in ninety eight, yeah. and, uh, and and so and, did uh, so did three D. So Red, Red Baron three D. So yeah, so so it, amazing. So three of the most uh, sort of seminal flight sims all came out the same year, and, 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 and within three months of each three, other. yeah, yeah, three different. Time Which periods. is awesome, right? I mean, and that's fan- I mean, this yeah. is the thing that I have a problem with. People talk. I mean, Rob, you're sort of saying, I used to be a flight sim guy, and then everything died. All right, but 1998, we had three amazing games come out. 2001, IL-2 Sturmovic, who's probably the best combat flight simulator of all time, and then like six years later, Rise of Flight for World War One. Like, where's the drought? I don't see where the drought. No, is. no, no. I'm not saying I'm not saying necessarily that it's that it's a drought in the in this case. Um, though I do think like years like I mean, remember like it wasn't just '98 was good. It was we had the Jane's Combat series, uh, w- w- which was out there. Uh, we it seemed like it, it, there was you know Eurofighter. Um, there, there was this there yeah. were all these. Oh gosh, your Typhoon. Yeah, you, I mean you're also forgetting uh, Mig Alley, which oh, I think is one of Mig the Alley. greatest Sims ever made. We should just do a flight sim. Why do well, we it looks like we're doing show. one we now. We kind of are. Like, are, are, like <laughs> World War One, who ripped off at what? But, who cares? But but it's worth pointing out that that's sort of the point where World War One got abandoned, right? I mean, that is it's it yeah. is definitely yeah. true that after 1998, I I mean, really after Red Baron, the the next good World War One flight simulator is Rise of Flight. Is there one in the middle I missed? That's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, and then, and I think that's because you know the people realized once the hardware got to the point where you could simulate all this stuff, like and you could you could uh, uh, go through all these uh, you know protocols to you know arm your missile and then lock on your missile and then fire your missile. 
uh, you know, that's people wanted to do it. And it's just like it's just like war games where it, as things can be more complex and they should be more complex. Right. So, I mean, that's that's where things got. Uh, I think the thing is where I mean, and it's not uh, I, I don't know that that's necessarily terrible. I mean, I think it's really neat that we can have a game. Uh, I still remember uh, reviewing Flanker and reviewing um, the uh, there were two different F-18 games. There was the Janes game and then there was uh, uh, there was another one. I can't remember who put it out, but I remember reviewing both of those. Um, and and it, I thought it was really great that you could have a game which was really trying to put you in the cockpit of this incredibly advanced aircraft uh, and it was doing it with a reasonable uh, degree of verisimilitude. Now, on the other hand, that's what I thought when I f- played Falcon 3.0, right? It just at seemed time, like, wow, right. this is the most yeah, most realistic thing ever. Look at this. This is so good. Now, if you looked at it, you'd be like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? It's like a Fisher Price. Well, and that's part of what so, I think has been so – I mean, I had not played Rise of Flight until very recently, and, and Rob said, mm-hmm. you've got to get on this because it's gotten pretty interesting, mm-hmm. and they've, they've, they've kept this game going. And they have a weird right. free-to-play business model, so anybody can get into it, um, or you can just spend money and get the game. And I still can't figure out what the difference buy, is. You can buy it on Steam. You can buy it as a game and just like, play everything, or you can get it for free and pay like a buck a plane and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind it's of all... fussy. There's a there's a thirty dollar edition on Steam which doesn't work with the non Steam edition. So pick carefully. Uh, find out where your yeah. friends are. Hmm. It's yeah, it's a little it's yeah. a little weird, but but the reality is you hop into that and. To heck with having a gun on the plane, it's possibly the best aerobatics flight simulator I've ever played. I mean, Flight Flight, hmm. Unlim- uh, flight Unlimited from Looking Glass was amazing. Uh-huh. And part of the reason it was amazing was it locked you in a box that was about a mile square, right? And, and hmm. didn't try to do anything outside that box. But the flight model was incredible right. and the scenery was phenomenal and it was incredible. Mm-hmm. And this is the best one I played since then, and it may be better than that. The flight models are amazing, and you know you get that thing pointed up, and you kick the rudder, and it does exactly what you want it to do, and you get it into a stall and start spinning and try to get out, and it does exactly what you would expect it to do, and it's it's phenomenal. I've spent more time flying around a rise of flight, just practicing my old aerobatics routines on these underpowered mm-hmm. airplanes, which takes a lot of work. Yeah. Um, you know, I it, it's it's amazing, and so I think all that complexity has now gone into stuff that's way under the surface. Uh, and what that lets you do is just get in the plane and really feel like you're flying. Put your track IR on, look around behind you, see whether the guy's there. You know, right. do an Immelman and pray. Hmm. Well, I, I I have to say that uh, you know I've sort of I, I haven't played with track IR. I think that the the games are requiring such a level of time investment now that I I can't I can't well, make that. Time here's investment. here's my question about whether was was there something about World War One aviation, and it's still true to an extent when you're dealing with World War Two aviation, where because of the contemporary technology that it, it, it's modeling. Um, that it's simply easier to get into. Like, I can't play advanced flight sims. I, I really can't. Like, uh, the the uh, Digital Combat Simulator series, uh, DCS A10, um, you know, their, their helicopter games, like, doesn't interest me in the slightest. I want no part of it. I don't, like, I don't have to, I, I don't have time to make that my job. Uh, but I can play Rise of Flight because... Basically, it's the, you know, what are the basic controls of an aircraft, right? Can you figure those out? All right, go up and see what you can do. It's not rocket science. It's literally right. not rocket science right. up there. Um, and right. I, I kind of wonder, is that 
is that part of why like um you know a game like a game like red baron it wasn't just red baron either there was um what was rowan's uh series um battle of britain they did battle of britain but i feel like they did some well rowan did Dawn battle of britain rowan did, did, rowan did uh... Uh, we have yeah. to check that. They 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 did uh, Migalley, right? Rowan did Migalley. Yeah, they, they they did Migalley. They had Dawn Patrol, Flight of the Intruder. Oh wow, I forgot Flight of the Intruder. That's what I remember. I don't remember Dawn but Patrol. It was it, it was something where th- these are these are simulators that I think you can still play them almost as shooters. Your brain can still almost interpret them as shooters, right? Like, what's a turning duel if not basically the aerial equivalent of circle strafing? Um, and and I, I I think that's something that sort of goes away as the aircraft get uh, more capable, as the engagement ranges change, uh, and you're just you're you're understanding and and your ability to get feedback to what you're doing really begins to disappear in in a way that it, it it's easy to it's easy to get that feeling when you're talking about World War One era aircraft. Well, I think that that's that's certainly the case uh, with. Um, with games that try to be, you know, super high fidelity. I mean, you can still you can still get uh, games like, um, gosh, I'm trying, trying to think. Um, Total Air War was actually a good uh, a good mix between um, between sort of arcade or what they, what they used to call arc, the arcade model, right? Because you had a joystick. Everybody still had joysticks, and so you took your joystick, you you kind of hit the throttle and then you flew around and if it was arcade it meant that you really couldn't crash that easily um and so you know and you still push the joystick button you fired some guns and i think you could shoot a missile um so i think that that happens when you start expecting uh the the flight model to be the most uh to 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 model reality in 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 a in a really high fidelity way Uh, i think there were plenty of games that got um, got trashed. I think possibly some of them by me uh, for not being so um, so close to what I felt was reality. I mean, in the end, in, in the end, I don't really know how any of these planes fly myself, frankly, because I've never flown an F eighteen. But uh, um, you know, I think that there there is a space for um, for games that sort of. I hate saying dumb down the flight model, but we had a more lax flight model where that were were more um, more uh, conducive to new players playing. But then at some point, I mean, I think those players would rather fly a spaceship. Right. Exactly. And but the irony yeah. is that there's more in common to flying a spaceship than there to to a World War One airplane than there is to you know a World War Two airplane or certainly you know some sort of Falcon, right? Because there is that sense of like, oh, you just point it there. And that tends to be how right. most space sims, whether it's Elite Dangerous or X-Wing versus TIE Fighter or whatever, they tend to model that, right? They just, like, pull back on the stick and it should go there. When you, right. And you don't even have to worry about stalling, right? It makes it almost the arcade mode by default. Right. Well, you do in, in World War One games, you do have to worry oh, about yeah, stalling, Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for I mean, sure. But if I'm just right. saying the arcade yeah, mode so. for some of these things, you don't. Right, right. So, I mean, I think that there's a there's a um, all the secondary you know, the secondary maneuvers they have to take, take care of, like, you know, what is that, you know, how, how do I actually lock a missile on? How do, you know, how do I choose my target? Because a lot of these things, you know, these standoff things where you can't even see what your target is, but it's on your radar. So, you know, you're firing at it and then you're just trying to decide whether you hit it or not. Um, You know, that, that kind of stuff. I mean, for some people, 
uh, that's interesting. I mean, I, 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 I used to really love doing stuff like that. I used to love digging into games. I think it just has to, has to, games can, can obviously, you know, engage you in a variety of different ways. And, um, I think the ways that those people that games engage us change. And I think that I would be now more likely to, uh, you know, engage a game like Red Baron, uh, than I probably would have when I was still looking for a more difficult flight sim uh, to master. Yeah, and, you know, I think turning back a little bit to sort of the, you know, modern memory of of World of One Air Combat, uh, but then maybe also the reality of, you know, when you're playing a game like Rise of Flight, um, this is, I think there becomes this, there starts to develop this, problem uh in later periods uh where just like all warfare did there is this growing sense of distance and remoteness and the coldness of technology you got people writing about it uh you know in in world war one uh where uh again in 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 the max hastings book i'm reading uh there's this description of um which one which one uh catastrophe 1914 Okay. Uh, there's this description of uh, the French military attaché in uh, Berlin was attending the 1910 German army maneuvers or whatever, and he he remarked that um, I think the, the the German army had just all switched to field gray um, and they'd gotten rid mm-hmm. of their their old uniforms. Feldgrau. And he commented on this to um, he commented on this to the Kaiser, and and the Kaiser you know lamented. Yeah, it's it's absolutely terrible. Uh, the new the uniforms are hideous, and you know it's the ar- the armies look rather shabby. And then he sort of says, and in, in the way of uh, and, uh, as, as Kaiser Wilhelm was wont to do, then he just comments on how warfare itself has become this awful shabby affair, and everyone just fights from too long ranges, and it doesn't matter if you have bright colors. You don't need to see each other um, because nobody sees each other. They just kill each other um, at you know at range, and and I think you know if the same reason that World War One air combat exercised this fascination on the popular imagination is still kind of what fascinates us when we play around with it today. It is it is an air war where you can still sort of take in the battlefield at a glance. Everything's within visual range. You see the person you're fighting. You know, sometimes well, and, you just fade and away. if you can't see them, they can't hurt you. Right. Right. Yeah. As long as you can see all the way around you, like your world is what you right. can see. That's yeah. a great point. And, you know, and it, I, I think it also sort of, it, there's also something sort of beautiful about, you know, flying in these games because you're still close enough uh, to the ground. You still feel sort of like, you know, you're, 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 these birds are soaring above the battlefield, right? Um, whereas, you know, in, you know, say games about the bombing campaign against Germany, um, you know, action is starting to take place at 20,000 feet. You're sort of above the clouds and it's it's kind of this... Um, you know, it, it's kind of divorced from it's kind of divorced from the world in, in some ways. It becomes its own little well, world. But but this is this is part of I mean the nature of the evolution of modern warfare is to become more and more removed from danger, right? And that's now we now we fight them with drones where we fly them from Texas, right? Yeah. That's that's the nature of air war is to be further and further and further away from your target, which gets less and less interesting to simulate. That's why we get this all knights of the air myth in World War One. I. I don't think it's accidental that you have this dehumanizing, brutalizing conflict on the ground. So they make heroes out of the closest thing to classic 
mano-a-mano single combat they can find, yeah. and that is in the air in the air war. I mean, it's it's all it's all of one thing. You know what's what's interesting too is that it, it was kind of considered the, the antidote, right, for the the grimness and slaughter of the trenches. But I'm pretty sure if you look at like casualty rates, airmen fared pretty terribly in World War One. Oh, they were. Yeah, I mean, your plane was very likely to just crash on takeoff. I mean, just getting up would be. Yeah, well, that was my point earlier. That all these aces that you know were 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 made such uh, heroes. I mean, they they all died. I mean, not all of them, but I mean, a, a great many of them died. I think there was the 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 uh, casualty rate uh, it, among pilots was higher than the casualty rate among uh, or mortality rate was higher than mortality rate among among infantry, just because of the the few numbers that were engaged and the uh, you know sort of lethality of those of those machines. Well, it also seems like something that was never really solved because, um, you know, talk about the 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 Bruce, Bruce and I swapped books uh, when when I visited him down in uh, in North Carolina, um, and so I borrowed a history of the Battle of Britain, uh, and one of the things that you know is brought up in that book is the fact that um, for for all the training for all the training that was done, a rookie pilot basically had two rolls of the dice right and he just he describes it quite vividly it's two rolls of a d6 mm-hmm. um when, when you go up and if you get a one two three or four uh you, you know if you get a one two three you have a you return from your first mission without an incident you're fine uh four five six you take a hit and then you roll another d6 and on like a one two three or four um you manage to make it home a five you're seriously wounded and a six, you're mm-hmm. dead. Uh, and those, and nothing, n- nobody was ever actually able to change those odds, uh, really, for beginner pilots. It was something that air combat was something that really, at least in, in, in those eras, I don't know what changed later or if it ever did, but it wasn't something that you could really train that effectively for. Eventually, you just sort of had to push guys up into the air and hope they learned on the mm-hmm. job. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, um, I think that's, that's a good description of that. How, what do you think of that book, by the way? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I I can't really. I, I keep calling it the Battle of Britain book. Uh, mm. Bruce, what's its actual name? Uh, most dangerous enemy. The most dangerous enemy. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. It really just sort of breaks down. Um, it, it's a great analysis, both of the forces that led to the creation of the uh, World War II RAF and Luftwaffe, and then what happened when you took those two infrastructures and approaches and sort of mashed them against each other, uh, and how that sort of explains the Battle of Britain. It's a great book and a really great mix of insight and uh, anecdote. You know, that guy's but, a management consultant. That would explain that would explain a lot why he goes so in so much depth, uh, really great depth about the decision making uh, apparatus of the RAF and uh, the Luftwaffe. It's really interesting. Um, but it, I, I do find it interesting. If you guys watch this movie, it's on Netflix, The Red Baron. No. No, don't. It's awful. No, I'm interested. Uh, <laughs> well, it's oh, it's, it's awful. It's, oh, it's, great. It's, Thank well, you. it's not. It's not. It's not awful. Awful, but it's kind of this. If you want to see a movie that presents Richtofen as kind of this innocent, like saint of World War One, um, who believes in honor and decency and all that, um, and he's trying to sort of stay above the fray of it, like it, this is totally that movie. It's it's sort of a you know oh, uh, you know Manfred, you're too you're too good for this war. Uh, in some ways, and he, in the middle of the movie, sort of has this realization that, like, oh, it, you know, I guess, I guess we really are out there killing each other. I guess this really is war. Hmm. Uh, but, but it's, it's, it's a little bit sap, 
happy. It's a little bit sentimental. It's very much sort of buying into old myths about uh, World War One air combat. What I find interesting is that I think you get actually get a lot of your more um, realistic representations, or at least uh, less sentimental representations of what that war was like uh, in like movies of the twenties and thirties. When you actually had some Hollywood directors making movies about the air war who'd actually taken part in it, um, and there there are a few there are a few movies out there that. Um, really sort of got at this 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 notion that um contrary to being this sort of chivalrous battle of the air uh world war one was just sort of as callous and attrition based in the sky uh, as, as it was on the ground mm-hmm. uh, but but that story you know only got told between the wars and then it was kind of swept under the rug almost and, mm-hmm. and nobody told that story for you know 70 really ever again yeah well, I mean, I think that the uh, the horror of war. There's, there was an interesting um, comment. I think in it was in the book that uh, you let me rob was uh, that this lessons of World War One were quickly subsumed by the lessons of World War Two, and that Verdun sort of stopped being, uh, you know, for the Germans that that lesson was quickly forgotten because it got replaced by something called Stalingrad. So, um, you know, it's, I'm not surprised that uh, <laughs> that. Um, the uh, sort of the, the portrayal of that historical moment would be most sort of realistic in some ways uh, at the time before that another you know horrible cataclysm occurred, um, which colored people's memory. So to wrap this up, um, you know we, we we've covered a lot of ground here, but I, but I think. I did kind of want to ask you, I think a lot of us sort of regard Red Baron as sort of the quintessential uh, game about the subject. And in many ways, it still casts this really long shadow over Flight Sims. I think, you know, Flight Sims developed a fixation on dynamic campaigns and career progressions. And a lot of that stems from Red Baron. I'm not sure they actually get why it works so well in Red Baron. But I'm curious whether anyone feels like, you know, is Red Baron kind of, uh, you know, lost to us? Because you can play it on good old games, but damned if I can make it run correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't make it work with my joystick. Uh, it's, it's, and it does not, it does not age well. Uh, but I'm curious, like, do, do games like Rise of Flight uh, fill the void? Did IL-2, do, do they, do, do they sort of get what made air combat so irresistible in Red Baron? I really do want to get back to Rise of Flight, so I think the four of us should take to the skies sometime in September Ooh. and play Rise of Flight against each other. Challenge accepted. Uh-huh. So, well, I think for myself, a, a joystick. But uh, I mean, it's I haven't played a lot of flight sims, and like I said, since the European Air War, though I have dabbled, of course, in Rise of Flight and the Ill Two games, which are just above my competency level I think but there, I think it's just been the I'd love for Red Baron to be playable I'm, I'm sad it's not playable uh, from good old games because it's I have so many fond memories of staying up late trying to finish that campaign trying to get a guy to the end of the war well, I, without cheating scum saving but that's see that's the difference is you're saying the, the, the problem and the solution at the same time the problem yeah, is you're time. immediately saying well we should all play because we all want to play then, against each other, but the reason that Red Baron was actually so good was it was a single-player game, for the most part. I mean, it was playable yeah. on Sierra Network. I did play it there, and that was fun. Yeah. But the reason we loved it was because it was single-player, and um, what little I've played but in... All, all, all of our games were single-player. Exactly. Like, and, 1990. And, and you can believe and, you, know, you were really good. <laughs> exactly. And so... 
Whereas I have no illusions. I, my I think it's unlikely that anybody is going to make a single player combat flight simulator anytime soon. And that makes me sad because that was the best part of that yeah. experience was that sense of yeah. learning the game while you were getting better and making it an RPG at the same time. And that was a blast. And now, you know, anybody who's going to make a combat flight simulator is going to make it multiplayer as they probably should. And then you're going to jump into some furball and get destroyed for 22 hours until you get good enough. You know, this sort of parallels something with uh, racing games that I've noticed is that a lot of my favorite racing games give you the feeling of being at the edge of performance and you're just like wrestling that car and you're just a master of just whipping that thing around corners and oh, you're, you're the best. But Sims are about actually learning how to do that. And there's this there's this art that only a few games really have. And I think Red Baron's one of them that totally sell you on the idea that you're this badass of the air. You are the master of your aircraft. You are the king of aerial combat. And you don't, you aren't aware of all the ways the game is sort of alighting details to keep you, to sustain that illusion, uh, to, to keep you within your, your feeling of competency. Uh, and I, the tendency in Sims, of course, is always you know, to go more, more realistic, more one-for-one, one, introduce more things you have to deal with. But I think what people love, and they underrate it, is the way um, <laughs> the way those old single player games really kind of helped you create this illusion um, of, of what you were really capable of, and really made you feel like this is what it would be like if I were a World War One flying ace. I don't actually have to learn how to be one, but I do get the feeling of if I were, this is how <laughs> this is how I would roll. Yeah, I mean, if if you're talking about racing games, then that you then you're sort of alluding to uh grand prix legends but that's a mess we'll do another show on <laughs> we, we, we will we, we will get there bruce i promise um all right so i think we we can leave it there um and it looks it looks to me like we we have uh we have a date at some point to all learn how to fly oh and, yeah uh, to, to squat up and uh, really just really just get slaughtered up there we just uh, need just, to all have the, the same version not the, yep. not the either steam or non-steam Right. Well, we, we will sort that out. Um, I don't know if they're incompatible from a multiplayer standpoint. I just know that your purchases in one don't carry over to the oh, other. Oh, that's terrible. Um, but I, I, I would hope they might be able to talk to each other uh, via multiplayer. But anyway, so so that's a date. Uh, and in the meantime, the World War One Guns of August month will continue uh, next week with, if we can put it together, a, a, a show on... Uh, Commander Great War. Uh, if we can, if we can all rally behind that, it's going to get a little difficult this month because everyone is crazy with travel and work, and uh, Gen Con is is sort of looming in the best possible way. Uh, I will not be there. Troy and Julian will. Uh, so be sure and say hi to them and beat the crap out of them at board games. Um, but until next week, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Bye all.